Neuropodcases, a neuroscience podcast created for medical students. In these bonus episodes of the podcast, we discuss clinical cases with consultant neurologist Dr. Rhys Davies. These discussions primarily focus on the clinico-anatomical correlation of neurological symptoms. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, I'm joined by Dr. Rhys Davies, consultant neurologist. Hello. Um, so what I'd like to do, Dr. Davies, is just start by describing a case with you. So we have 15-year-old Jack, who's become profoundly slowed in his limb movements over the last six months. He's in his first year of GCSE studies, has been thought to be depressed because of school stresses. He lives with his mother and has no contact with his biological father, or indeed the entire paternal family, since his father left the family home when he was aged three. He had been a bright student who enjoyed schoolwork in his first two years of secondary school, but since then his marks have steadily declined and he's become rather withdrawn in class. So brief examination, it's found that he has reduced facial, uh, facial expressivity and very little spontaneous speech. His limbs are very stiff but not weak. He walks very slowly and his feet go into spasm as he walks. Okay. In general terms, what do we call uh, abnormal slowing of movement? Okay, so the general term for slowing of movement is bradykinesia, so in the same way that bradycardia is slowing of the heart, bradykinesia is slowing of movement. Uh, We sometimes use the word hypokinesia, which means a lower level of movement than there should be, contrasting with hyperkinesia, too high a level or too much movement, and akinesia uh, is a term that implies no movement at all but obviously it can be a relative thing so so those terms uh, bradykinesia hypokinesia and akinesia can be used more or less interchangeably but bradykinesia is the one that's most often used for slowing of movement so obviously in in jack's case here there is a problem of higher motor control And I was just wondering to get your thoughts on which uh, major parts of the brain are implicated in higher motor control. Okay, so uh, obviously the prototypic motor problem is weakness. And, you know, people can be weak for all sorts of reasons. They're, you know, short of breath or they may have pain uh, in in a limb. But neurologically we think of weakness as being due to a problem in the function of the lower motor neuron from the spinal cord or the cranial nerve nucleus to the muscle itself or the upper motor neuron the cell uh, in the primary motor cortex that stimulates the lower motor neuron so you can have a lesion of somewhere along the track of either of those neuron types to cause weakness What we're talking about here is a motor problem other than weakness, or if you like, beyond weakness. And this is a a form of hypokinesia or a form of uh, a movement disorder. Uh, And these disorders where you have either too little or too much movement in general localize uh, to the basal ganglia. So so this is the grey matter structure located within the forebrain anterior to the diencephalon, the basal ganglia. The other two types, uh, the the most easily understood is ataxia, so that's a a failure of calibration of movement uh, and uh, clumsiness 
in coordination of movement, and that would localize to the cerebellum. And finally, the, the, the most difficult conceptually is uh, the, the function apraxia. So this is when uh, a person or a person's brain fails to select the right movement to perform in practice. So it's, it's, it's a little bit more difficult to conceptualize than the other two. And this is a cortical function, generally uh, localizing to the association cortices, particularly the association cortex of the frontal lobe. But in fact, uh, certain movements where you're using lots of sensory information, say, to build something, um, then the posterior association cortices of the parietal lobe can also be involved. So the frontal association cortices, apraxia, cerebellar disease, uh, ataxia, and in this case, basal ganglia disease associated with hypokinesia. Um, are you able to tell me about the role that the neurotransmitter dopamine has in control of movement? Okay, so generally speaking, we would say that dopamine has a role to promote movement, and, and it's likely that, that that function of promoting movement is failing in the case of the patient Jack. Um, and, and to work this out, I think we, we need to think about the basal ganglia's circuitry. Uh, obviously, there are numerous uh, different circuits within the basal ganglia, but if we want to think about dopamine function, we need to think about the two most basic pathways. So they're called the direct and indirect pathway. And actually, dopamine has a modulating effect on both the direct pathway's net effect is to increase movement and the indirect pathway's net effect is to decrease movement. Dopamine acting at D1 receptors tends to positively modulate the direct pathway to cause more movement. Dopamine acting on D2 receptors primarily tends to act on the indirect pathway in a negatively modulating way, and because the indirect pathway reduces movement overall via the indirect pathway effect also, dopamine tends to increase movement. So just to go over that in a slightly different way, the main structure of the basal ganglia is the striatum or the neostriatum, so, so, so that's a joint term for the chordate and the putamen. That's the main part of the basal ganglia, and that's where the projection from the substantia nigra goes, the nigrostriatal projections. So these are both the D1 and the D2 systems. If we go back to the striatum, it projects to the internal part of the globus pallidus, and the globus pallidus then projects to the thalamus and then back to the cortex. Both the projection from the striatum to the globus pallidus and from the globus pallidus to the thalamus are inhibitory. So they would use uh, GABA as the neurotransmitter. And basically you get two inhibitions giving you 
excitation, and that's the direct pathway. The reason the indirect pathway it tends to reduce movement is that it has a third inhibitory step. So you've got a minus and a minus giving you a plus and another minus, so that's still a minus. So the indirect pathway tends to reduce movement. Um, either way, and by remembering what I've just said, you can work it out from first principles, but either way, dopamine tends to promote movement. Thanks. And I, I would encourage any students listening to look at the supplementary notes which are available with this for a visual representation Definitely. of that pathway. So um, could you tell us a bit more about the neurotransmitter dopamine? So what type of neurotransmitter is it and which other molecules are included in this family? Uh, OK, yeah. So I think that's useful to think about in relation to those circuits. So the, the workhorse neurotransmitters of the CNS are the amino acid neurotransmitters, so the, 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 the most important and the most common excitatory amino acid neurotransmitter is glutamate, and the inhibitory neurotransmitters are GABA and uh, glycine. So glycine is usually found uh, at uh, inhibitory uh, synapses within uh, the spinal cord, while GABA tends to be found within the brain. Uh, so that's the kind of simple plus-minus neurotransmitter work. Then the next step up in terms of molecular complexity uh, from the amino acids is the amines. Okay, and, and the monoamines would include uh, dopamine, uh, noradrenaline, adrenaline, serotonin. Acetylcholine is slightly different in terms of its chemistry, but basically it's still in that amine group of middling-sized molecules acting as neurotransmitters. Of course, acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter in the most straightforward way in the peripheral nervous system. Uh, but in the CNS, these neurotransmitters tend to have slightly more complex roles than simple excitation and inhibition and that's why when I was referring to the effect of dopamine via D1 and D2 receptors I referred to them as having neuromodulating effects and then beyond uh, the amine neurotransmitters in terms of complexity uh, you've got the the peptide group uh, of, of neurotransmitters uh, the uh, encephalins and and so on, and then you have some oddities as well. Uh, the the gas neurotransmitters like nitrous oxide. But I think if one gets an idea of the amino acid neurotransmitters, the amine neurotransmitters, and then the rest as doing stuff that's a bit more complicated, that's that's quite good for orientation. Thanks. And back to the case. So are there any features uh, from Jack's case that would make you uh, think about altered motor control other than the slowed limb movements? Oh, yeah. So uh, on examination, he's got reduced facial expressivity. So, of course, facial expressions are movements. And when people have bradykinesia or hypokinesia, those movements of the face are often uh, affected and, and we call that hypomimia. Uh, so that's a, a very uh, well-recognised uh, component of bradykinesia. Uh, he's also uh, 
speaking very little, and of course that's a that's a motor function at least to some degree. Um, and there are also involuntary movements here, so the the uh, legs go into spasm. So so we would we would probably refer to that as dystonia, uh, and dystonia is is an is a is a dyskinesia or or an involuntary movement, but it's often paired with bradykinesia. And finally, there's a degree of stiffness. Uh, we sometimes call that rigidity. Uh, and and when people have bradykinesia, um, that is a sign that's often evident on examination where uh, a limb is not as supple, uh, S-U-P-P-L-E, uh, uh, as you would wish. Okay. And as a clinical neurologist, which disease uh, do you encounter that commonly causes slowing of movement? And what would be unusual about this case for... Undoubtedly, the, the commonest cause of bradykinesia is Parkinson's disease. And uh, as many of the listeners will already know, the the main neural lesion in Parkinson's disease is uh, degeneration, uh, progressive loss of cells within the substantia nigra of the midbrain producing dopamine that should project to the striatum. So that's the that's by far the commonest cause of bradykinesia and the commonest mechanism by which bradykinesia occurs. Also, uh, people will know before they ever entered medical school that Parkinson's disease usually affects people in midlife or in older years. So Jack, at age 15, with very significant motor symptoms, uh, is very unusual. Um, and um, there are various implications of that clinical finding that the clinician would need to be thinking about. Finally, to, to finish things off, could you tell me what you think the father's significance is? Well, the father's not there, so I suppose that you know puts um, uh, Jack at risk of, of certain... Uh, problems in in life if there are if there are challenges in the family but of course there's there's a a biomedical aspect to, to this so the first question is you know was there a medical reason that may have contributed to this father leaving the family and the father's family making absolutely no attempt at contact um so there may be a, a medical problem or a neurological problem in the father and that ties in with this comment that we made about the young age of Jack so the question is could this be a genetic problem a hereditodegenerative problem and and it could be a, a form of Parkinson's disease juvenile Parkinson's disease uh, definitely uh, exists and um, you know it can occur in uh, an age group as young as this but actually once you get to um, this young age then lots of other very rare genetic movement disorders need to be thought about and actually the detail of this case makes it rather likely that the particular diagnosis here is juvenile Huntington's disease, not Parkinson's disease. Uh, but but really the, the take-home message here concerns the anatomy of the basal ganglia, the role of dopamine, and the principle that genetic conditions can sometimes affect the brain 
and that there are certain uh, indicators that that category of disease may be present. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Look out for more podcast episodes coming out shortly.